Saturday at Saratoga, five races, five grade one races, and we're going to cover them all right here for you using Race Lens. I'm Dan Torchman with America's Best Racing, joined again by my good friends Christina Blacker and Ellis Starr. Christina, Ellis, uh, it's good to be back with you. We've got a series of smaller fields that are going to be going head to head here, some horses that are going to be going head to head. We're going to have to try to get creative. We're going to have to try to hammer opinions. We're going to have to look for vulnerable favorites if there are any. Um, let me start with you, Christina. It's been a it's been a whirlwind here. We're just talking off camera before this, uh, but as you as you dove into to this car specifically, the sequence of Grade One races. Uh, what's your approach? How do you uh, intend to make money on Saturday? I do feel like the stars are going to come out, right? We've seen that uh, in the entry box, certainly. These are all the horses that are the fan favorites and the horses that you want to see on a day like Saturday. And while I think a lot of those favorites are going to perform, I think there's some up-and-comers out there. There's some horses that are stepping into deeper waters for the first time. And so the old cliche is the graveyard of favorites. Maybe that will be true on Saturday. I'll definitely be looking for some long shots to use underneath an exactus, maybe for some across the board wagers. But I do think some of our, our big names are kind of primed for their best. We're approaching this championship season. We're getting closer and closer to the Breeders' Cup. So I think the big names are going to run their races on Saturday. Yeah, no better time uh, to handicap the races and you could use the help of race lens. Uh, we used it to get ready for, for this preview. And right now, if you go to equibase.com, you click on race lens, uh, you have the opportunity to get a subscription at a really, really good price. If you're a new customer, you can get in for a dollar for a month using promo code Traverse one, but here's the big one. Any customer, whether you've had a subscription before or not, you can get a quarterly unlimited race length subscription for $99. All you have to do is use the promo code SUMMER99. That's SUMMER99. Ellis, let's kick things off with you in race seven on Saturday. It's the forego. Two of the five horses here trained by Bill Mott, the one high oak, the three elite power. Elite power is your one to two favorite as he looks for his ninth win in a row. Um, we talked about trying to get creative and beating favorites. Uh, what do you think? Do we have any shot at doing that here, Ellis? Not with anything really big priced, but like later on the card, when you ask Christina the question, you know, how to tackle it, I'm going to tackle it a little later with kind of keying on two horses, of double digit odds, one in each of some of the upcoming races, both in exotics and in multiple race bets. But this one, you just have to pick one. Of course, there is some opportunity that says start to pick six for those that want to play it. And there could be a few or three singles for some folks on here. The choice between Gunite and Elite Power in this race, and really the other three don't have much probability to win, maybe 10% between them. If something really wacky was to happen, you run this race 100 times. Maybe between the three, they'd win 10 out of 100. But I really do think, in spite of Elite Power being just a phenomenal horse to watch race and his win in the Vanderbilt last month being so good. I really do believe Gunite is faster and uh, race lens helped me kind of cement that opinion. If we'll go to the PPs, I think Gunite's going to great, get a great trip in second and be in front before elite power gets into high gear. And one of the things we want to look at is to make that opinion before we do that, we'll look at uh, the true odds screen which actually will show us that uh, Gunite has a higher probability to win 
on the true odds screen. Last time I checked, I think after the final odds came in, it was even money. Uh, so you can see there one to one that's yellow, which means you expect an overlay. If his morning line of six to five, he'd actually be a low odds overlay. And over on the right, it's got the win probability, which is 49%, almost 50. That's why he's one to one. But more importantly here, if you look at the pace projector, I really do think it, this is going to be the way it's going to be. Pipeline will be in front. He is a pretty much a need the lead type. He's not nearly this good. He was second in the Monmouth Cup. He was ninth in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, and he faded to sixth last month in a prep at Saratoga coming off a layoff. And Gunite's going to be sitting second. Lead power, it shows here, is third. But I think Gunite's got a better kick, and I think he's faster. And the reason I say he's faster is if we go down to the PPs for Gunite, we will see that his Equibase speed figure is going to be uh, 1.11 for his most recent start. And that is a really good number. Before that, a 1.13 figure. Uh, if you look down the list, 117, we do make speed figures for foreign races. So that was his Dubai Golden Shaheen, which he was just beating a neck and a half a length by Sibelius, also American-based horse in Switzerland, who I think won the race last year. 116 before that in the King Cotton to start his 2023 campaign. Now, just remember those numbers when we go look at Elite Power, one down in the number three hole, that Elite Power, his Equibase speed figures are 111, 107 starting back in October, then 111, and the last two are 112s. Well, those are good, but they certainly are not nearly as good as the 113 and 116 uh, figures that Gunite earned winning this year in his two big wins, the one in the Aristides uh, and the King Cotton. So I think push comes to shove. Gunite has an advantage because he gets a first over trip on Pipeline, who's kind of suspect. And second to that, I think he's actually faster. Um, Christina, do you have anything creative here? I, I have a horse that I like a little bit of a price, but I'll let you, you go first here. I didn't have anything creative, but uh, Ellis has kind of sold me on on Gunite there with the case. I like hearing it, and I like seeing the the statistics. They're backing it up, and the Equibase speed figures. They're both running third off a layoff, so I think you can project that you get a really nice race from each of them. And then they're both proven at the distance. There aren't really any flaws uh, in in the game here for Gunite and Elite Power. But I, I love the case there, and I would agree he is he is faster on those Equibase speed figures. Yeah, Ellis, I agree with you. I'm actually, uh, I think Gunite is a, a very strong single here. If you're playing, you know, pick fours, doubles, pick threes, I think you can proceed with Gunite uh, with, with with some degree of confidence. But if you wanted to hammer an exact, uh, I, I thought you might want to look at, in case things happen to get crazy up front, uh, maybe Pipeline, Gunite, maybe Elite Power stays a little closer to the pace than usual. I thought the five horse on the outside synthesis was interesting, finished far behind Gunite and Elite Power, uh, that most recent race there, the Vanderbilt. But if you watch the replay, Synthesis broke poorly in the race, couldn't really hang with them from that point. Hasn't run well over a wet track either, and it was a wet track that day. I think he'll improve over a fast track. He gets an extra furlong here. He does have four wins from eight starts at the distance. His preferred distance 
that 98 Equibase speed figure two races back, the yellow uh, implying that it's his second uh, highest number there. Uh, right there was that seven furlongs uh, in the John Nehrud. And then also dominated an allowance field four back at Belmont at seven furlongs, same distance. If you look at those seven furlong races, they look good. And then his career best, that green um, highlight right down there, that 107, that was at six and a half furlongs. So I, I think this distance really does hit this horse just right. And look, something crazy is going to have to happen. Uh, elite power is going to have to not be elite power, and it's going to have to somehow um, not kick the way he usually does late. But if, if you want a horse who is a logical third place finisher, certainly, but 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 potential uh, runner up, uh, if things don't uh, go well for some of these, in case there's a pace battle up front, I think synthesis is interesting. So. Um, that's my two cents there. Um, I will take a deeper dive in race nine as we move on to the H. Allen Jerkin Stakes, another seven furlong race, really good race here, um, named after the uh, Hall of Fame uh, trainer, Chief H. Allen Jerkins. Um, so uh, the same what was the King's Bishop, of course, until just a few years back. Uh, Bob Baffert with a very strong hand here. He has a third of the field, has the morning line favorite, Arabian Lion, has Fort Bragg as well. Uh, those two are just to the outside of the horse that I actually like, though. That's verifying. Um, you go back to verifying's debut race, uh, bottom left there, Saratoga, six furlongs, wins that race um, pretty easily. Uh, you see here over time, he stretched out a bit, and now um, he cuts back. And I, and I do like specifically horses cutting back on this surface at Saratoga, which we've seen is, is fairly trying. So to see that extra conditioning, some of these horses have been going longer, cutting back is good in and of itself, but especially the way Saratoga has been this summer, and especially in the case of verifying, who seems to be just a little bit, um, he, he seems to either wander a little bit late or just not have enough uh, going, uh, you know, some of these route races we've seen him in. Um, even when he's won, he, he's he's barely won. Um, so I think, again, the seven furlong distance is going to be just perfect for him. And I think he gets a really nice setup here. Uh, a horse on the inside is Shrews Gold. He has speed. The horse is on the outside, as I mentioned, Fort Bragg and Arabian Lion. But, but there's a, you know, the speed of the speed is New York Thunder, the five horse. So I think he could have a three or four way go. I don't know if any of them are as fast as New York Thunder. But there will be a lot of pace on here and verifying figures to sit uh, a really nice trip. I didn't even mention one Vermillion just to his inside, who also has a ton of early speed. So uh, really, the only horse in your figures to be sitting off of them is verifying. And uh, even though he wins that last race wire to wire and the race couple back um, wire to wire, that's going longer. So um, going this sprint distance, I would expect to see something from him similar um, to what we saw in a couple of spots earlier this year where he sat uh, a couple of lengths off and um, and then made his move. And so I uh, want to take a look at a little bit of trainer research here, a function here that you could use uh, pretty easily on race lens. Uh, you look at Brad Cox um, and wanted to see using uh, the jockey uh, that's assigned to ride on Saturday in Flavian Pratt. He gets up for the first time. In dirt graded stakes races the past five years, when Pratt is up for Cox, 37 starts, 13 wins, which is spectacular, and 25 in the money. So only 12 of those 37 runners didn't hit the board. Um, as you can tell, see there, 35% of them won. 
And this is the first time Pratt is getting up on this horse. So I do um, love that as sort of a signal of strength here and the timing being right. As I mentioned, I also love the cutback here for verifying. I think there'll be plenty of pace on. Uh, welcome, Ellis or Christina, if you have any other thoughts in this race. This is one of the media races, I thought. And thank you for letting me steal it because I chimed in first. I was like, oh, I want this race. And you guys are like, all right, all right, take it, take it, take it. So uh, I don't know who wants it, but Christina, Ellis. I, I'll be happy to go. Um, I think that your pace assessment is usually rock solid, <laughs> uh, except here. One of a million does have. Wonder Million does have a lot of speed, but his last two races are mile 16th, two turns mile late. Route horse is cutting back, their speed gets dulled. He is not going to have the lead in this race. Even Louis Sayez, as aggressive as he is, is not going to get this horse. He's been running 47, 111, 47 half, 111 for six furlongs. Uh, New York Thunder's gone. He's got a length and a half opened up in the Amsterdam. He opened up by two in the Woodstock on the Tapita in April before that. This is his second off a three-month layoff. He's got a race over the track. Um, he's got the top Equibase pace figures. We can't show him here. We're going to have to set up for pace. But 105 and 102. And then he actually accelerated because he got a 108 final figure. Um, Arabian Lion got a 115 to Woody Stevens after getting a setup. But even Arabian Lion, except for his debut, has not seen speed like 43 and change that New York Thunder can put in. So for me, he's going to be a single on my pick three uh, tickets in this race. And I think he's gone. And I'm hoping that the Baffert horses, Fort Bragg and Arabian Lion, who have recently gone to post uh, Fort Bragg at three to five at last time out in the Dwyer, Arabian Lion at two to five in the Sir Barton and then two to one. I hope they get really bet because I would love five to two on New York Thunder. Um, one update, just did want to mention, you mentioned one in Vermillion, uh, Jockey Louis Saez will actually not be riding this uh, this weekend. Uh, he was injured uh, on Wednesday. And so um, I didn't see who the uh, replacement booking went to here. I do know that in the Travers coming up that we'll go over, Flavian Pratt will now ride Mage. Um, Christina, any other thoughts here? I hate to say it, but I'm going to pile on as well. I like New York <laughs> here too. I'm with Ellis on this one for everything that he mentioned, but also that last race was his first race on dirt and he had, it looked freaky good. I mean, he's four for four. It's great to see ammo racing with more horses in the U.S. I actually was covering uh, some of the racing from Delaware earlier this week and they had a runner there too. So looking forward to what he can do in his second start, which looks like his best and his most preferred surface. And I think he looks... Just freaky good out there. So I am also on New York Thunder and would love every bit of that five to two if we can get it. Yeah. Well, um, look, I, I I respect the cases you both made. And I, I think certainly that's a scenario that, that we can see um, on paper. Watch New York Thunder's replays as well. He, he's the fastest horse in this field. Um, if he doesn't need a breather, like like he didn't need a breather in the Amsterdam and he can still kick kick again like the way he did late in the Amsterdam, he's going to be tough to catch. So we'll see how that uh, plays out in the Jerkins. We'll move on to the 10th, our third grade one stakes race of the day. It's the Ballerina, seven furlongs again on the dirt. Morning line odds here would tell you that the race really goes through two horses, uh, one of them being Echo Zulu, the six, and the other being the seven, Goodnight Olive. Uh, Christina, I'll let you explain more why everyone, um, including yourself, I, I believe are pretty high on those two. And uh, if there's anyone else that we should keep an eye on here. 
Yeah, very high on those two. And uh, similar to what we saw earlier, you know, in the forego, it's there's no chinks in the armor here. There's nothing really to knock with these top two horses. And so you have to try and find a way to make your case or maybe a way to kind of knock the others if, if you can at all. I ended up with Goodnight Olive on top. She's the seven in the race on Saturday. She's a horse for course here at Saratoga. As you can see, she's two for two over the track. She also loves the distance six for seven at this seven for a long distance. This is really her sweet spot. And we saw that in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint last November at Keeneland. And also just kind of, if you want to look at that running line, she's shown in the past and in that race as well, that she has the ability to stalk the pace. Echo Zulu, we know it was very fast. We know there's some other speed in here. But I think she can really sit her best trip when she's right off the pace. And then you have those trainer statistics that are right there on the page for you. I mean, everything is green. Everything is positive all the way down the line here with Chad Brown. Love him with this rider. Love him on the last 30 days. Of course, it's coming back in this kind of a layoff from two to six months, 21%. It's all it's all good. I also went to the late pace page and I always, or to the true odds page, I should say. And I always sort for late pace. I talk about this figure all the time on FanDuel TV. I talk about it in turf races and turf sprints and races like this on the main track. You sort it for late pace and she does have a pretty dominant advantage over this field. She finishes her races on average a lot faster than the others in here. So if she does get that nice setup, if she gets Echo Zulu or some others in front, she is going to fit that trip that she wants, that she seems to be best at and can certainly see out the seven for a long distance. If we go back to the past performances, I did want to talk about Echo Zulu a little bit because you can see she does project to be on the lead in here. And what I really like looking at her just in general, you know, we talk a lot about these horses that are so precocious earlier in their career. Look at those Equibase speed figures for her back in her two-year-old season. You see the 82, the 92, the 97. Then we come into her three-year-old season and she gets faster. She starts to break that three-figure mark, a couple hundred uh, speed figures for her there. And then now we're coming into this four-year-old season and she is at her best, 109, 111. I think this is something that's really unique that we don't always see. And especially with a horse like her, who I think for a long time, and, and it might still be there, we talked about the distance limitations that she might have. They put her in the Kentucky Oaks and she ran her guts out to finish fourth that day at a distance that, you know, a little too far for her, but they cut her back. This is definitely, you know, her sp sweet spot. But the only kind of knock I can supply in here is perhaps the fact that in that last race in the Honorable Miss, as you can see, it was a big win for her, but she went pretty fast. Look at those internal fractions. Look at the final time for her in the Honorable Miss. Very, very quick. She took a step forward in all of her speed figures, whether you're looking at the Equibase figures, whether you're looking at Thoroughgraph. So I do wonder, because I think if you watch Florent Giroux, he kind of geared down late. I think he realized he didn't really have to ask her for that much. She didn't really have to go that fast to beat those horses last time out. So perhaps she does take a little step back at the seven furlongs so coming up on Saturday. So that was part of the reason that I leaned in the favor of Goodnight Olive in here. And then I also wanted to take a quick look at the five at Wicked Halo before we're done. She's eight to one on the morning line. And I think that there's a chance that she could hit the board in here. I think she'll sit a nice trip. I think ideally she prefers six furlongs over seven, but she's another one that does like Saratoga. She's two for two over the track and her works in the morning indicating that she's training really well. You can see that bullet work August 15th. 48 and two. I think she likes this track and she's going good right now. So if you're looking for some value underneath, Wicked Halo might be the horse that sits a nice trip and can kind of pick up the pieces there. But for me, overall, good night, Olive was the top pick.
Right, Ellis, I know you had um, a couple of thoughts on this one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and great analysis, Christina. I, I, I keep thinking about Goodnight Olive, and we'll get to it in a second, that she could be going for a 10th straight win uh, in her 11th career start, if not for some issues on uh, the Derby City distaff. Um, but I think this is a really good field, and I think it behooves us to look for a horse that's going to be under bet, which everybody is aside from uh, Goodnight Olive and Echo Zulu. And that horse is going to be Caramel Swirl on the outside. And I want to go to the, her last race, which was the Bed of Roses. Um, and you can see that running line. We'll look at the video in which we'll pick it up about the 52nd mark, in which she is going to range up in the blue, royal blue on the outside, the good Olive blue, number five. And we just let it run. And you'll see she's two, three wide, which isn't really an issue here. But she's going to range up. And she's actually pulling uh, Junior Alvarado at this point. He's not doing anything here to ask her. In the meantime, Wicked Halo, Tyler Gaffleone is going to be on the outside. And, of course, Goodnight, uh, I'm sorry, good, yeah, Goodnight Olive is going to be coming. Now, you'll see for a second here that Caramel Swirl is going to make the lead. And she's going to start to draw off, and Goodnight Olive is going to do her thing. I love it when horses make the lead of the eighth pole and they get beat because they tend to be under bet the next time they run. And I think that's really, really important to know that she ran as well as she did after making that move, maybe a bit early. So now go back to her PPs uh, and look down at the Raven Run Stakes, October 23rd of 2021, when she was a three-year-old, and that was at seven furlongs. And that was her best race, arguably. It was a 111 Echo Bay speed figure. She rallied from seventh in that race, did very well, and then she took time off, and then would go to the second in the ballerina last year to Goodnight Olive, and then this race. I think that she is going to be coming up to a really good race now after that if Junior just times it a little teeny bit bare. Now, looking at Goodnight Olive, as I mentioned uh, the seven we talked about. I just want to talk about sometimes what happens in a race. If we go to the Derby City Distaff on May 6th and pick it up about the one minute mark, this is another interesting race because in this one, you will see Goodnight Olive uh, making a big move. The three again is the gray, in this case, Wicked Halo. And Goodnight Olive is going to be uh, following her. And Wicked ha and Goodnight Olive. Wicked Halo, I should say. Tyler Gaff-Leon makes it his mission to ride two races here. Have you ever heard the term two races? I know you guys have. But for people listening, he's riding two races. His job is to not only ride his horse, but he's just not going to let an inch of room for... And you see he's almost stood up. Uh, or I read he's almost stood up there on the horse. That's a race she should have won if not for that trouble. It's nobody's fault. It's race riding. It's legit. It's legal. But it is and really good. And, of course, she won this race last year. So it's important to know that um, her Breeders' Cup Philly Mare Sprint was a really good race there, the 106 figure, and then the 107 last time out in the Bed of Roses. And then Echo Zulu, the only race I want to look at is that seven furlong race because both her races this year were at six. So that would be the Dogwood Stakes, 924-22, uh, where she won as well. And you can see that was a really nice race with a 105. And then her last race was a 111. So she just ran the best race of her career. But I think Caramel Swirl, I mean, they all have fantastic records. Caramel Swirl's got five wins, four seconds, three thirds. So 12 for 14 
in the money, good night, Olive 81110 and Echo Zulu 8110. So I think Caramel Swirl 10 to 1 is going to be ignored here. I think a slight improvement on that race or running the Raven Run runs a lot better. Uh, Echo Zulu could be loose, but again, she's stretching out to seven for the first time in this year. Last year, when she won the Dogwood, she was cutting back from mile on a 16th. So personally, I'm going to look at Caramel Swirl, probably Boxer with Good Night Olive, Boxer with Echo Zulu, and I'll make a win bet. Like it. I like it. We we need prices. So I, I like it a lot. And Ellis taking full advantage of the unlimited replays available on race lens, um, pulling up replay after replay. And, and you'll find yourself in this position as a handicapper. If you don't use race lens, what do you do? How are you watching your replays? It's you gotta do them piecemeal, you gotta do them one at a time. Here you got them on the left side of your screen, right where the date is listed. You click them, you watch the replays, you could you could track trips so much easier and um uh, Ellis you just demonstrated it so Ellis not getting cheated with the replays there uh, I hope to not get cheated in race 11's the sword dancer mile and a half on the turf um the story I think one of the stories um you see Stone Age there uh is gonna be a short price favorite we're all gonna be behind and you can you can scowl at us. You can be disappointed. But I think we make good cases. But the other story, if we could just click on the six momentarily, I believe it's the six, right? Yep. Channel maker. This is a cool horse, right? Uh, won the Bowling Green last out at nine years old. Um, still very much doing his thing, uh, especially when he gets to the front and he doesn't face any pressure. Channel maker is going to usually kick clear and, and hold him off late if he's got anything, because he's got a big heart. So um, Channel Maker, um, one to to always respect, again, if he could get to the lead like he did in that Bowling Green. Um, the question is here, uh, do, is there anyone that's going to go with him? And if so, who will that potentially benefit? So we could move back to the seven Stone Age. Um, and typically, you might worry about a horse off of this long a break. You can see there on the left side, he hasn't run in, what is that, six months? Six months now? A little over six months. Uh, but Chad Brown, you may have heard of him. Decent little trainer. Over the past five years, horse is coming back after uh, these long breaks on the turf and then using specifically Saratoga as a target because, as you know, Chad Brown rules the turf at Saratoga. So when they come back off a long break, how do they do? Well, they went, they, they went at, at just about the same rate uh, as all of the other Chad Brown horses on the turf, 28% in the money. Oh, 28% win percentage, 63% in the money. Um, the positive ROI, everything you want to see there uh, from a, if you're going to take a short price horse. So, so that's stone age now coming back off a long break. Let's go to the uh, true odds page. And we talked about, now, if, if we're going to look at who's going to have the most kick late, so Channel Maker dig in last out when left alone on the front. His late pace figure is 111.5, Stone Age 124.5, so 13 points higher for Stone Age. Uh, so maybe if Stone Age is in that race, um, he's the horse who gets by Channel Maker. And again, that's Channel Maker without any pressure. So uh, things heat up. Bad news for Channel Maker, good, good news for Stone Age. And then also wanted to pull up, you know, uh, well, not even pull up, but just reference the race you see three races back. That's the last time we saw Stone Age stateside. It was in the Breeders' Cup turf. That circle there uh, that you see around the 125, that is the highest Equibase speed figure 
for any horse in this race. Um, we haven't even seen him much. That just happened to be the last time we saw him. And he posted the highest echo base speed figure for any horse in this race. Um, I do think Channel Maker faces a bit more pressure in this race. But I think even if he has a very similar trip, going this mile and a half distance, coming off that last race, uh, I think Stone Age is still too good. Um, and, he, and he rolls by. Uh, Christina, I know you also are a fan of Stone Age, and hopefully I left you something to reference there, and I did not, again, monopolize the entire uh, no, I'm point with list you. here. I'm with you on that. <laughs> I, was, I was very pleased when I saw your notes for the webinar today, and I thought, yes, ditto to everything that Dan has to say about Stone Age. And the only other thing that I would reference is looking at that Breeders' Cup running line. You know, he wasn't too far off of the pace in there, and you look at who is in the saddle, Coming up this weekend, Flavian Pratt will be in the saddle on Saturday. And to me, I mean, there's no better judge of pace in the country right now. I mean, Flavian is always in the right spot. He does his homework and he also has the ability to change a horse's style if you need to a little bit. I don't really think you need to change this horse's style, but nobody's going to let Channel Maker go like they did last time out in the Bowling Green. I mean, I think he's going to be closer. I think he's going to be sitting right there. He will get a little bit more pressure. And then that late pace figure really comes into play. He also ended up behind Rebels Romance. Unfortunately, with losing the rider, we didn't get to see what Rebels Romance could have done that last time out in the Bowling Green. So I'm, I'm with you on Stone Age. The only other horse that I wanted to kind of point out is the five in here, Pioneering Spirit. Pioneering Spirit is a gelded son of American Pharaoh. And look at his record on the turf. So two of those races came quite a while ago. And then back on March 24th, as you can see in the past performances, Linda Rice picked him up via the claim. In the last four starts that are highlighted there in green, she put him back on the turf course. And now this horse has gone from a maiden 40 win, the starter allowance win, a regular allowance win, the non-two victory. And yes, this is a big step up in class for him. But look at that trainer research, distance and surface for Linda Rice. This is a positive ROI for her. This is not a circumstance that you really see her in very often. Her horses are always bet. She wins a lot of races. She started the meet really, really strong. I think she has pulled off just a little bit by her standards, but this is not usually where we see her. And I think this horse has clearly shown that he has an affinity for the turf. We can take a quick look at the replay of his last race, just to watch how powerful he is at the finish. And this is, again, softer company, obviously. This is the biggest test of his career, and I know he's taking this big step up. But when you have a horse that is on a roll like this and a horse that clearly has a preferred surface, American Pharaoh out of a Giants Causeway mare, you know, he's going to hit his best stride here late, and he's just going to pull clear this field. He's handy, he's light, he's fast. He does drop pretty far back off the pace. So horses like Stone Age will be ahead of him in the early stages, but I just wouldn't count him out of the exotics because of that record, because of how well she's been going at the meet, Linda Rice. And, and maybe he can surprise a little bit and does have the class to rise to the occasion. Ellis, I know you've got a couple of thoughts on this race too, before we move on to the Travers. So kick it over to you. Yeah, this is a really interesting race, and, and I could see Pioneering Spirit. My, my concern is, and I'll get to second, in Pioneering Spirit, you see that Irad Ortiz is riding. Uh, real quick, I don't call an audible here with our producer, but if you look at the five, you saw Irad Ortiz uh, is riding here, and you can see who's ridden the horse to all four wins is Jose, which kind of I had missed. And now if you go to number one, Soldier Rising, you'll see Jose picks. Uh, you know, He's getting off a horse he's won four in a row with to ride Soldier Rising, who you can see seventh, second, second ninth 
Um, there's the winds back there. The first thing I want to show is a nice feature in race lens for those that want to use it. There's a highlight feature and a strike through feature. You can see for this very last race, I used the strike through feature. And this is because that was the Bowling Green in which unfortunately Rebels Romance did fall. And that caused Soldier Rising to check badly and lose all chance. So I'm ignoring that race. And this helps me to completely ignore one of the great features of race, completely ignore the Bowling Green. Um, so that's one thing I wanted to point out, definitely. So now if you go down to Soldier Rising and he's mile, uh, the Grand Couture, sorry, Couture Stakes, July 8th of 2022. We're going to look at that video and you'll see the horse that won was Channel Maker. So we're going to go to that race and we're going to show um, at about, I forgot what mark, um, he made the lead against Channel Maker. Channel Maker is leading most of the way and in the stretch, you see Soldier Rising. This is probably the first. No, this is this. This is the drive now. So Channel Maker on the inside in the pink uh, and the white. Uh, Soldier Rising the, on the outside is going to make the lead. And Channel Maker trying to throw in his head in the air. Soldier Rising makes the lead, and Channel Maker with his just tenacity comes back and fights back. But as far as I'm concerned, that's as good as a win because he got beat in neck. And when we go, and he was still finishing out. And we go back to the PPs. You'll see. That that race was basically, I believe, a 112 Echo Base speed figure, which would be the best of his career, or second best of his career. He was uh, beaten a half a length in the Red Smith with the 113. So it's a second PP for the horse. It's very good. Now, if you go look at his other two recent races, he wasn't disgraced. He was second in the Manhattan. He was second in the Man of War. Um, he's running really, really good races. And I think that. The Manhattan specifically with that 110 figure we rallied from ninth to second is the kind of race he can run. I think he'll be closer up like he was last year because Jose knows how to ride him against Channel Maker and keep him close and make that move. And he opens it five to one. Going Speaking of Channel Maker, this is such a cool horse. We have the ability also to use specialized PPs in race lens to look at today's track and surface and kind of get rid of the noise. And we'll go all the way back to 2018 and i see here's the only saratoga races and it's pretty amazing that he runs in these races so in 2018 he won the bowling green and he was second in the sword dancer and big figures of 117 and 115 of course that was five years ago um he was four and then in 2019 you can see he ran fourth and fourth he didn't make the lead in either of those uh even though he was only beaten a little bit still 110 figures we go up to 2020 and you see he was fourth uh, but placed third via DQ because he was interfered with. And then he gets the lead in this race in 2020 and he crushes him with Manny Franco aboard, who's riding him today. And then we go to 2021 and you'll see didn't make the lead in the Bowling Green, made the lead in the Sword Dancer, ran badly. Then 2022, he skipped the Bowling Green. Of course, he won the Grand Couturier before that. And then in 20, in this year, he wins the Bowling Green all the way at the top with a 110. So I don't think anybody's going to be close enough to give him any grief. Um, he can come from just off the pace. He happened to have won the Elkhorn Six from just off the pace uh, back in 2021, uh, back in 2022 in April. Um, and he's very tough. So you could see that that running line. Actually, look at that running line from uh, April 23rd of 2022. And you'll see that Elkhorn Six running line where he actually rated in second. So he does have the ability to come. Uh, the 2022 Elkhorn, I think, is the one further down. There you go. Um, 
that's the one where he, he ran in second and third and came on to win. So that's him. And then last but not least, I want to look at Verstappen in the two uh, because he ran in the 23 Elkhorn, which again is a mile and a half. And you could see he rallied from seventh. It was a career best 112 Echo Bay Speed Freak. He battled head and head with Red Knight, a multiple grade one winner, the length of the stretch uh, and did very well. And then also, if you look at the trainer jockey, uh, very good when Brendan Walsh used Declan Cannon, who doesn't get a lot of big horses, but man, that point plus 58% ROI and 26% win kind of stands out. So not only does Cannon get along with Verstappen, uh, Walsh gives him some good horses and he makes the most of those amounts and sometimes at big prices. Uh, also, he's a four-year-old, to hair, and you see that. So he still has improving to do. So I am going to, uh, Stone regarding Stone Age, I'm going to pull a Barney Rubble. And I am going to take a stand against him completely and mess up Fred's plan here. And I'm going to go with the other three, as I said, Soldier Rising, Channel Maker, and Verstappen. But clearly not a French Barney Rubble, because then you'd be able to say Grand Couturier a lot a lot more smoothly, right? I mean, that's, yes. but a glutton for punishment. You brought it up, like the race up, like in four different ways. Like you referenced it every possible way you could. I won't even say it the second time, so... Um, let's move on to the 12th. It's the, uh, Travers. Look, this race has it all, right? You got your two-year-old champion. You've got your Derby winner. You got your Preakness winner. You got your Belmont winner. Um, and then you got a horse on the outside named Scotland who we, uh, will get into. We'll actually talk quite a bit about him. Um, Ellis, a bunch of different directions to go. A pace discussion is in order. Um, we'll let you kick things off. Uh, and then we'll kick it over. Well, actually, I'll come back, and then I think we'll kick it back to Christine. But go ahead, Ellis. Get us started. I, I can't, wait to, can't wait to hear what you say. Thanks for giving me first crack at this. <laughs> um, and there's no French words in here, I believe. Uh, look, Scotland is increasingly interesting, intriguingly interesting. I make the race Scotland and Forte. This is our Echo Base Race of the Week. Um, honorable mention goes to Arcangelo and Mage, but I'm really not going to talk about them. Um, we're going to look at Scotland's PPs, um, look at his races first, first, second by a nose, first, it's almost undefeated. He's li most likely raced worse in the field with four starts. His last race was his best with a 107 Echo Bay Speed Figure. That was a mile and eighth at Saratoga in the Curlin. Interestingly enough, if you look at Forte now, which is compare the best horse in the race, the obvious favorite, Forte, 105 in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile last year, 106 in the Founding Youth, 104. Uh, then the layoff because he couldn't train for a couple weeks because after being scratched for the Derby, and then the 109. Look, 109 and 107 are almost the same to me. They're both nine furlongs at Saratoga. Um, Forte is two points is probably less than half a length slower. Scotland is than Forte, according to that, and Scotland's more lightly raced. So that's really important to take a look at. Let's compare really quick. Go to Archangelo as an example as well. And Archangelo, before he won the Belmont, he won the Peter Pan. Mile and eighth at Belmont, but still mile and eighth. He got a 97. Well, Scotland got a 107. That's 10 points. That's four lengths, at least four to five lengths different. Now we'll look at Mage. Again, talking about the main contenders in the field. And Mage got a 104 for the Derby. Um, then he didn't run as well when National Treasure got an easy lead in the Preakness. And he ran okay in the uh, Haskell with a 102, but still not 107, not 109. And again, Mage is making a second of a small layoff, but Scotland just ran a month ago. So I think there's improvement there as well. One thing about Mage to note is his sire is good magic. 
So we know Mage won the Derby a mile and a quarter. Go to Scotland. You'll see, guess what? His sire is good magic. And of course, this is his first crop of three-year-olds. So he's only had a couple of horses run that far and one of them won the Derby. So I don't have a concern about 10 furlongs. Um, now we're going to look at Scotland's last workout, which is phenomenal. Best of 69 for a trainer in Bill Mott that does not work horses fast. That just shows what kind of form he's in after that last race. Very important. And now something interesting is we'll look at that last race. You see, first of all, the company line and you see Il Miracolo is italicized. Well, I have to be watching this Marty Jones this week, but if you if you hover over, Racelands tells you right away without even looking, the horse wants next start. And then when you click on the horse, you can get that horse's lifetime PPs. And this was just Monday. So Monday or Tuesday, Tuesday, Il Miracolo, Il Miracolo won the Marty Jones takes by three lengths easily uh, with a 98 figure, a slight regression, but he won it easily. And that's really a blessing in disguise. You also see who ran second of that race, Cagliostro. And if we close this now, um, go back to the PPs just to show everybody that Cagliostro happened to have been second to Il Miracolo in the race. But we'll look at this now and see uh, this Curlin stakes and watch Scotland in the last part of the race just kind of just draw off. The chart comment was eased up late. You can see that Blazing Sevens at three to five uh, is going to take a run at him. Right now it's Il Miracolo taking a run at him. And then he's just going to power, power on in this race. Let me just watch it as it goes here to show how easily he won. I think he had a lot of gas left in the tank. Bill Mott, of course, does not overreach with his horses. If he thinks he's ready to go from the you know restricted curling stakes for a horse that never won a sweepstakes uh, to the Gra Travers, I'm certainly not going to argue. Uh, you can see here, Junior gave him a couple taps and now... He knows he's kind of put him away. Uh, Blazing Sevens, Irma Colo going up and down. Irma Colo again coming back to win the Smarty Jones uh, on Monday. And uh, Cagliostro running second, who had run second to Scotland when Scotland won on June 3rd. And one more thing I want to show when we get back to the PPs, which is Bill Mott. Of course, he's a Hall of Fame trainer. But it's always interesting to see how good Bill Mott keeps horses in form. And this will be the last five years in a graded stakes dirt route with the horse that won his last race. You've got seven wins from 34 starts, 21% uh, plus a 29% ROI. Now, the horse to compare that to is going to be Forte. And you can do that by clicking on the show all button, which does the same stat for all of them. And we'll look at number one, Forte, when Pletcher comes up. Pletcher's got a 19% win rate. 54% in the money and an ROI of 46. Mott is better. I'm kind of duh, uh, or the same in terms of win percentage, but his horses go off at higher odds when he's bringing them back in the three year old stake dirt route. So I really like Scott 12 to 1 is going to be a big price. And I've got no real knock on Forte, but I really think Scotland's got a huge shot to win this race. I'm glad you flagged Il Miracolo winning the Smarty Jones since I basically chased him and threw tons of money away on him in the Belmont uh, and in the Curlin. So I'm glad he broke through when I wasn't watching on Monday. Um, we're looking at the true odds page here. Uh, you see the five horse in the early part of the race, like alone, completely alone. Um, and then you look over to the left 
And there's a run style tab. You could sort to see which horses have the early pace, which horses don't. There's only one horse with an eight early pace national treasure. And look, logically, the horse we've seen go to the lead most frequently and do his best there is national treasure. So, so we can assume that he's going to be on the lead, but is he going to be alone? Um, we just saw the back half of the replay of the curling and um, you saw Scotland on the lead. You didn't see that, that he went a, a decent quarter to get there, but then he was really just cruising. He was not asked at all. And he put up a half in 47 and two and a 111, if you see on the bottom there. Um, and then go over to National Treasure. And let's look. We, we think about the Preakness when he won on the front end. Got, you know, got that great breather. Look at those splits. 24, 48 and change. Uh, one third. I can't even see that clearly here. But I, but I think that says 130. 113. Yeah, 113 and two. And then 137. Yeah. So, yeah. look. Um, he not only had things his own way because he was loose on the front end. He also went slower than Scotland did on the front end. And Scotland wasn't at all asked, with the exception of that first quarter, just getting out of the gate. He was cruising the entire time. And so I think that Scotland might, might be loose on the lead. And I may be out of my mind, but but I, I do think he is faster than National Treasure. You look at that that work on, on the 20th of August, that's a 47-3 and three best of 69 work this horse is coming out of his skin right i mean this horse is going to just explode out of the gate and um i think it does a couple of things one it eliminates national treasure as, as a true contender for me because we haven't seen him win unless he's been alone on the lead he's got two wins and they've both been when he's loose on the lead um and then it you know begs the question I'm buying Scotland, right? Like I, I, I'm with you. I was like, I, I think he is extremely impressive, but if he faces a little more pressure, a little more consistent pressure, as you mentioned, coming out of the restricted ranks, going into open company here, facing the triple crown winners here uh, of each of the triple crown races. Is there not one of them who can potentially take advantage of a softened up horse jumping up in class, going a mile and a quarter for the first time? And so I think logically that horse is going to be Forte. So go, go, go back down to the rail. Um, I think it's a, he's, he's the horse who this race is just going to set up for uh, the 109 Equibase speed figure again, with that circle around it, best of any horse in this race. And that was just his, you know, second race back. He had all that, that funkiness between the Derby and, and not being able to run the Belmont. He ran a massive race. there, going a mile and a half after, after that long break. And then he comes back over a sloppy track and really like that, that race wasn't optimal for him. And he, and he wins the Jim Dandy. Um, yeah. We'd like to have seen him pull away by 10, but had that happened, he'd be three to five here. So look, if you're telling me he's even money or he's six to five, I think that's fair on Forte. Christina. I would agree. I, I think that a lot is going to be decided in this race on Saturday. You know, we get the Derby winner, the Preakness winner, the Belmont winner, the two-year-old champ. And for all the reasons that you mentioned with Forte, you know, not missing or, or missing so much training leading into the Belmont, asking him to go the mile and a half and the heroic effort that he ran to finish second. I mean, he just always finds a way 
to give his best and for the most part to come home a winner. I think he's shown through those minor excuses in some of his races that he is the best horse in this class. And we're going to, going to find out. I'm really intrigued and I've learned a lot from you guys listening about Scotland because I think I wasn't giving him enough credit myself, but off the speed figure discussion and the pace discussion, uh, I think he makes a lot of sense. And I'll, I'll add this to kind of your theory, Dan. And I say this all the time with the Bob Baffert horses, as fast as they are, they're not runoffs. I mean, very rarely do you see a Bob Baffert horse that grabs the bit and doesn't know how to rate. He works them in company so often, and they're just so well-schooled in the mornings that, yes, he trains for speed and he trains for fitness, but he doesn't train them to just, you know, blast out of the gate and always be on the lead. I did want to take a quick look at the kind of tail end of the Belmont as we're still on Forte here, where he's going to end up finishing second. We'll fast forward uh, until the stretch in here, Archangelo, as we all know, is the winner. He comes back in the race and I give him a lot of respect because I think he is a horse that, you know, they've, they've been very intentional with the layoff between starts for him. And he could be really sitting on a big race. I listened to the NTRA teleconference this week and Jenna Antonucci talking about how he has grown and he has really come on uh, since that race and that this was always their plan. You know, this is, wasn't an afterthought. They decided to give him this time, but just watching Forte the way that he rallies, the way that he kind of figures it out and finds a way to get up for a second, despite the wide trip, missing all that training. I thought this was a, a great race. And then also you can see there that Tappet Trice, it's like as soon as he gets company, he figures out what's going on and he decides to actually try hard and decides to run. So I do want to give him a mention, the three, because they're putting the blinkers on. And this, I think, has the ability to make a huge difference for this horse. He is physically one of the most well-built horses of this class. He has one of the biggest strides. Now he might be a little better at that mile and a half that we saw in the Belmont. I mean, I know, you know, that's the classic distance and we're cutting back to this mile and a quarter, which isn't something you can often say, but I just think that with the blinkers on, he's a bit of an X factor. If he finally pays attention and gives hundred percent for the entire race, which we will find out. So I'm I'm on Forte. I think the three-year-old uh, championship is going to be decided on Saturday. I'm excited about the race. But off of everything that you guys have, have added with Scotland, I'm going to start using him on, on my tickets because he makes a lot of sense in here too. Christina, can I ask you quick, speaking of blinkers, you know, Dan, Dan was talking about something we didn't mention. I'm sure people in the audience are wondering, National Treasure is taking blinkers off. Do we know anything no. about what that's supposed to do? about? Well, so Bob Baffert, with this horse in particular, he just keeps playing with the blinkers on and off and on and off. And you can see it throughout his career. He debuted in blinkers and they took him off. They put him back on for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Then they took him off for a few starts, put him back on for the Preakness. I, I, I have not talked to Bob about this specifically myself. And I've never seen him make this many changes with a horse with the equipment. But I think if you look at his races where he's had the blinkers on, those were races where he looked like he could be lone speed. Now, whether Bob was looking that far forward and, and handicapping and looking at, you know, the fact that he might be in there, but it looks like you're getting that same kind of scenario today, unless Bob agrees with what you're saying, Scotland, another horse being very fast. I, the short answer is, I don't know. I haven't had a chance to talk to him about it, um, but I think the horse is capable of performing either way really and i will say the blinkers he's been using have been very tiny those little kind of cheater blinkers for him 
Um, we may as well just kind of mention uh, the other runners in this race. Christina, you mentioned Arcangelo, the Belmont Stakes winner, and, and hearing Janice say earlier in the week that the horse is is even bigger and better. I mean, if that's the case, I mean, he's going to win, right? <laughs> because if he's any bigger and better than he was in the Belmont, then, then we're just wasting our time. But I think we're all operating with the assumption that that was um, a maximum effort from Arcangelo. Um, he also got the run of the race there, saved all the ground on the rail, bred for that distance, um, and obviously did what he was supposed to do. And he did it professionally, held up a bunch of runners late, but um, maybe we have to see it one more time before we all fully become believers. Um, are, are any of us thinking of, of using Archangelo in, in maybe the, you know, the, the two spots since we were all, it seems like we're between Forte and Scotland for the top spot? I might, but five and two, I'm not sure. And I did make a note that you got to remember when he beat Forte, um, you know, uh, Archangelo was off basically four weeks and Forte had been off that mm -hmm. two months. So, yeah. you yeah. know, given that Forte's now had two races, it's tough to think that Archangelo can do any better than third here for right about Scotland. And then Mage also, but Mage you have to use to hit the board and four to one is square. So I certainly could see using Mage and Exactus and Trifectus in second and third. I don't know that he's going to be able to repeat that derby effort. But I mean, the derby effort came off the second to Forte and then Forte got scratched and, you know, we're all shaking our heads 15 to one. If we liked Forte, why didn't we bet Mage the derby at 15 to one? Because he was next best in the Florida derby. And that was of course, hindsight, handicapping, red boarding. <laughs> you want to use it. Um, but, but, but do we think, do, do we, I, and this is going to sound like a silly question for a horse who won the derby at a mile and a quarter. Do we think long term that that Mage is is a mile and a quarter horse? Is he not better suited, maybe going a touch shorter? If if not, everything goes his way. Let's remember the pace that he that he had and that setup that he had. Not taking anything away from him, but that Derby set up for a horse coming from off the pace. So at a mile and a quarter, he was moving best late, but there weren't many of them moving that well late. Well, I'll just say if you look at this Florida Derby at a mile and eighth, where he made the lead and then got run down. At, and then stepped up to a mile and a quarter and won. And you look at the Haskell, in which he got within ahead of the lead and was beaten almost two lengths on the wire, and now the extra quarter. I think the mile and a quarter hits him right between the eyes. Okay. Christina? I think we don't give him enough credit for how versatile he can be. I, I think if you look through his form, I mean, he, yes, they were maidens, but he won first time on the lead. He has been obviously very effective from well off the pace. And I think Go Rocket Ride is a real deal. I mean, he might end up being the favorite for the Pacific Classic in a couple of weeks. So I didn't really knock Mage for losing the Haskell last time, especially because they were really clear that the Travers was their main goal with him. I, I think Mage is more versatile than he first appears on paper because his two best performances were yes in the races where he had the best setup. Yeah, and let's be clear. I mean, I... Nothing else. I'd love to see Ramiro lose his mind again celebrating. So um, I, I'd be all for a mage victory uh, in the Travers. Uh, Tapit Trice, Christina, you mentioned you liked, um, you know, a little bit again, just based on, you know, you watched that, that Belmont, the horse is meant to run all day. I saw um, uh, Twitter, uh, one of my favorite people on Twitter uh, and in real life, Bill Starkey tweeted the other day that, I think Tabitha Trice can only win if he's going somewhere between three and four miles. And so, um, you know, it's one of those things where it's too bad they don't, they don't write, you know, two and a half mile races because then I, I'd be all over him. It just seems like, 
I mean, and, and it's not just him. I mean, it's his tappets, right? Like we always think, oh yeah, this is the horse. They're gonna, you know, they, they're supposed to go this long. They're gonna be, and then they all just have, you know, some some psychological issues. I think, uh, but it's okay. We all have issues. Um, uh, I just want to move on to the six real quick. Disarm the only horse we didn't mention at all. Um, comes out of that. Uh, Jim Dandy was. Um, you know, probably looks worse on, on paper than what it really was. Like, I, I didn't think he ran a bad race. It was just, you know, nobody was really making a move for, from off the pace there. Um, it, you know, a significant move. It was Saudi crown of the lead and then Forte, you know, basically making one move and then, you know, or a grinding move and then no one else really doing anything. Um, I don't know. Do, do we like disarm? Is it just, is he just maybe in over his head right here? He ran fourth in the Derby. I mean, that was pretty darn good, yeah. you know. And and then he wins the Matt win. And Jim Dandy was only fair. I mean, I think he's got the breathing. Uh, Gunrunner sired early voting who won the Preakness. Um, I I'm really again another, another horse adding blinkers ticket. I get concerned, and I don't know if Christina feels when he kind of touched on it when trainers take blinkers on or blinkers off for big races you experiment in allowance races you don't experiment in a grade one i just and, and it's a sign to me that you can't figure a horse out like tapa trice fletcher can't figure out what to do with him baffert plays with the horse because he's got it physically but he doesn't have it mentally you know in this case asmussen's adding blinkers on a horse that yeah he runs one good on one bad one i mean he's you know been in the money six out of eight so i could see him running on for third or fourth yeah i'd I don't know. I don't, I just don't think he's quite fast enough. I know he's been there, thereabouts, but I think he's one of those that he's honest. He's clearly very classy, but he kind of gets a piece of it too often and doesn't really go home a winner very often. Yeah. Well, we know for sure he, he will be one, um, you know, who look the blinkers on, I, I, I'm assuming that's not a play. Maybe that's, that's, maybe it's a play to break better or, or kind of get him more involved early, but he's going to be passing horses late if there's a ton of pace on. And so um, he's one that could potentially benefit Joel Rosario, as we know, uh, one of the best finishers in the game. So, um, you know, we'll see how hot it gets up front. Um, I, I think there's a scenario in which either Scotland's loose or just sitting off the national treasure. And they, they go, they go around one, two for most of the way. And then it's a question of, you know, who's the one or two horses that makes a big move. I think just based on history, we got to assume Forte will be one of those two horses and then maybe it's an Archangelo or Tapitrice or a Mage, but uh, we'll see. That's uh, that's why they run the race. It, it'll be fun to uh, to to attack and play in, in a bunch of different ways. My approach is going to be probably if I could find, you know, um, I, I like verifying a lot, and, and I'm going to try to you know hammer an exact or maybe a double coming out of or going into that race. I think I'm going to get probably three to one on verifying. So if you've got a price like that, I mean, and you want to try to make make more out of it, I, I would think, you know, hitting a big exacto or double or even playing a straight try, if you can come up with one, would be the approach. Uh, Christina, any, any thoughts on, my, on how you might form a bet here or or any anywhere through these five races that we've covered? Yeah, I mean, I'll go back to the sword dancer. Like, pioneering spirit is going to be the horse for me underneath, and I do think you'll get a pretty good price on him. So he'll be the horse that I, that I will use underneath. And you guys have sold me on Scotland. I mean, Forte is going to be my top pick, but... I'll have Scotland in there in all all sequences, all multi-race wagers, because he's definitely kind of the flashy up-and-comer, and it looks like there might be a little more in the tank there. Ellis? 
as far as this race itself, I'm I I I'd like to make a case for so many horses, but I'm going to stick with a win bet on Scotland and a Scotland Forte Exacta, and I, and yeah. pick threes and pick fours. I'm going to play it easy, but you know I'm again I'm underneath in earlier races. I'm using Caramel Swirl, um, who will be a price, and hopefully then I can spread in some other races. We'll see how that goes. It, it's going to be a great race and very tactical because it really depends, like you say, on what National Treasure does. If he doesn't gun and Scotland gets to clear in seven horse field, that's not too hard to do. And with a, a long run to the first turn, um, everything's going to be dictating after that how slow Alvarado can go on the lead. If Alvarado can do what uh, Johnny V did on National Treasure in the Preakness, um, Forte still got his work cut out, but uh, he may be good enough to win. Thank you, Ellis. Thank you, Christina. If you have any questions for them or for me, you know how to find us on X, uh, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, check us out. Ask us any questions you have. We, we are usually very, very responsive. So uh, let us know. And in the meantime, whether it's uh, today, tomorrow, the day after, you still got a few days to get in on uh, the Race Lens promo. You can get a quarterly unlimited Race Lens subscription for 99 bucks for a quarter. So um, 99 bucks is promo code SUMMER99, SUMMER99. Go to echobase.com, hit the Race Lens tab, and you'll see your options there. Also, new customers who've never had Race Lens, you could try it out for free for a dollar. Use promo code TRAVERSE1. I'm Dan Torgman. Again, for Christina and Ellis, uh, we thank you so much for joining us, spending some time with us. We wish you a lot of luck on Saturday. Um, yes, good luck. We'll see you next time.